We made it. Episode two. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome to another fucking horror podcast. I'm your host, Monique Sanchez. I am your co-host, Amy Trayton. And welcome, kids. So uh, we are going to switch it up. Going forward, we will always alternate uh, true crime and paranormal stories. See, that fucking word is just killing me. I don't... You don't hear it? I don't really hear it. Uh, paranormal. Paranormal. That's not there. That's I, think, yeah, yeah. I think I nailed it okay. that time. Uh, so, because I went with the spooky story last week. Yes. Amy is going to... You were a creeper last week. Yeah. I'm a creep. Oh my God. That's my fucking <gasps> jam. Tom you know, York. Yes. Right you know they listen. fucking hate that song. They hate that song. Yes. It... Oh. I heard an anecdote from Tom York that he had like heard it in at a, a restaurant and, and didn't, didn't realize, realize it was, it was his song. <gasps> I, love, I love that you know this. Of course. I love, I love Radiohead so much. So there's actually a really fun uh, story. A couple of years ago, they came to New York and played four, four days at Madison Square Garden. And it sold out like immediately because of course. fucking Radiohead. Yeah. And uh, my bartender at my local watering hole, hi Steven, I love you. Um, <laughs> he is the best for so many reasons. And one of the things is we have very similar taste in music and film and TV. So whenever uh, I see him, whenever I patronize his establishment, it's always like, what are you listening to? What are you watching? Blah, blah, blah. So we oftentimes go to the same concerts, but not on the same day. We both had tickets to Radiohead. He had it for the show after mine, the, the next day. And I, so I went to the show. It was Radiohead. It was fucking amazing. I, so I went to the bar afterwards to tell him how amazing it was. And because Steven is just a delight yes. of a human being, I was like, you have to live message me during the entire <laughs> concert. I know everything you're thinking everything. Feeling. And instead of him telling me to fuck myself, which would have been the appropriate response, he actually did. Oh, what a sweetheart. He's the, he is the best. You're going to meet him at some point. And Steven fucking saw them perform <gasps> Creep. In the encore, and I was like, "You piece of shit!" That's insane. I'm like, "This is literally a once in a lifetime don't play situation." And yes. he's like, "I know." And it's uh, his no favorite yourself, thing to watch him retell the story <laughs> because of the level of disdain and ire and obvious like massive jealousy that I have. Oh yes. I'm feeling all of that right now. Yes. It's burning inside of me. It's his favorite. I kind of don't want to meet him anymore. It's just like he's obviously too cool, and I can't handle it. He is too cool for school, and he's he's Irish from County Mead. So, oh, yeah, with a nice Irish accent. He sure. He's oh yes, good Irish boy. He's a good Irish boy. Good stock. Um, Stephen, I love you. You're amazing, and he makes the best apple martinis. Don't come for me about the apple martinis. <laughs> I'm a woman of specific taste, and I know what I like, and he makes the best ones in New York. You Just are. FYI. I told my mom I drank Gimlet's, and she was like, I'm sorry, how who old the are, fuck you? are you? Like, who are you? Literally, like, who are you? I was like, I was like, Monique introduced me to them. They're delicious. She's like, okay. Yeah, Monique is also not, like, of this time. No, no. You are definitely an old soul. Yes, for sure. Wandering this era. Exactly. I'm, I was born too late. And I am 
self-proclaimed pilgrim woman. I know. Yes, I should be somewhere doing embroidery and some like Doctor Quinn medicine woman. Show. I would rock the Doctor Quinn medicine woman era. I would have been on the uh, riding horses and farming. I could do all that. Well, seeing as how how crafty and uh, resourceful you are as a person, I could I could see that. Because I would not get cabin fever. Like I a lot of little like hobbies, games, books. I'm good with all of that. I mean. Cabin in the Woods is literally my worst nightmare. It's only my worst nightmare now because I've watched too much scary shit and I just know that's a setup for the worst scenario yes. you could ever encounter. Yeah. No one goes to a cabin in the woods and is like, and they lived happily ever after. It, it just worked out. I had a, I went to an Airbnb with my mom in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire on Halloween and I the whole time we were driving there, I was like, this is how I die. Yeah. Like, this is it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we survived. There was no... It was really I mean, thank God. <laughs> Um, but no, that's my worst fucking nightmare. Yeah, don't any part of that. No. <laughs> but, you know, respect to people who do it. Yeah, Miami, there's no woods. And that's the thing. You know, I didn't grow up around the woods. It's extra terrifying. Yes. And then, you know, things like, fucking pick one. There's so many scary things about a cabin in the woods. Or just being in the woods. The... You've got the Blair Witch Project. you got, you know... Uh, the strangers fuck are you kidding me right now so many things really gets me the strangers absolutely yeah how could it not they were like why why are you doing this because you were home get the fuck out of here yeah and then that then if you're an introvert and a home buddy and you like being home that's like don't fucking stay at home because it's not safe yes it's all which i am i yeah i'm more afraid of things outside. However, I'm aware that I'm most likely to get injured and or die in my own home. So yeah, my, my logically doesn't make sense. I don't know. I, I think it's fair. My, my thing is that if I died, I live by myself. So it would be a really long time before anyone put that together. And, and because I'm also an introvert, I'm not like, let's go out all the time. Like, no, no, no. It would be a while before anyone's like, has anyone heard from Mo? Like, where She's the fuck is she? not responding to any of my weird true crime memes that I'm sending her. Is this some I will shit? always respond to true crime memes. So that's it. That's how you're alive. Boom. I like the system. I'm not going to lie. I hadn't talked to my mom in... <laughs> I was going on like four days. And then I watched a couple episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. And at like 11 p.m. I was finally like, hi, I haven't hi. talked to you in a few days. Like, just... When say hi, I'm like watching Unsolved Mysteries. And then she didn't respond to me, which she lives in a different time zone. So it's earlier where she is. California? She's in Vegas right now. Vegas, okay. So a few hours before. So it's earlier there. So I'm like, oh, she has plenty of time to like see her phone and respond to me. Didn't respond to me till the next day. Mm-mm. Finally, I was like, I, by the way, I was like two minutes away from calling the cops because yeah. I was convincing myself. I need a welfare myself, check. Yes, I was convincing myself that you were dead, that someone had come into your house. I watched too many shows. Did you walk into the fucking river? Yes. She did, did not walk, walk no. into the fucking river. No, I'm she sorry. fucking did not. No one, no one would do that. No one would choose to kill themselves that way. I'm sorry. And not in those heels, girl. No. No. I would not have gotten gas before if I was going to do that. I'm sorry. No. I'm the laziest person. If it's cold out, like, absolutely not. And, you know, the purse, the, the, the fucked up yeah. designer purse. I'm like, someone, it's unsolved. But there's, obviously... There's shady shit happening there. Very questionable. This is w- uh, one of the episodes, the new episodes of uh, Unsolved, Unsolved Mysteries. Mur- yes. Um, I keep talking about Unsolved Murders. I'm sorry. I'm the worst. Unsolved Mysteries, you're correct. <laughs> you're the worst. Slap. 
the second half of the first season that just dropped last week. Yes. So we binged, we both binged it. We're talking about the episode of um, The Mother. The Lady in the Lake, I think. The Lady in the Lake, yes. Sky Borgman, who directed... uh, Abducted in Plain Plain Sight. And she also directed uh, the Subway Vigilante episode of Trial by Media. Oh, you were talking to me about that, and I did not get around to watching it. Yeah, so that's the episode we're referring to. She didn't fucking walk into the lake... No. After church service. No. I'm sorry. Absent. Also, she said to, like, I can't remember if it was her daughter or somebody, that if something happens to me, look to so-and-so. Like, I'm sorry. If somebody says that to you, like, shit happened to them. Yes. Obviously. If you, they there say were things it, going on behind the scenes that you were not aware of. Uh, very obviously. And not only that, if they say if something happens to me and then something fucking does, look to, to the, the person. Yeah. They I told you. On fucking porch the next day. Like, uh, hi. Yeah. Where the fuck's my mom? Thanks. Because clearly you had something to do with it. She said, if something happens, come to you. I'm here. You know, but it, it's one of those things. And the, the cops are great. I, I think that's a really fucking hard job. And I would never want to do it. So I'm definitely, you know, props to cops. But then there's a lot of them that are just lazy as fuck and don't want to do their job. And it's like, just do your fucking job. Yeah, How about that? With anybody in any sort of industry. Yeah. And some of them are good, some of them aren't. Exactly. Yeah, you've and worked with shitty people and wherever you've worked. Exactly. Yeah. But it's a thing of like, or maybe it's just not a suicide. Like, I know that it's a lot less paperwork for you to say it's a suicide, but like, maybe just like, look into it. Call me crazy. Use your brain for one second, maybe. Like Simon Pegg in fucking, in Hot Fuzz, you know? You're a detective. Detect. <laughs> I love that movie. It's the perfect it's movie. It's such a good... I did not go to my high school prom. I skipped and went to go see that movie because fuck prom. I was one of those kids. That I sounds better than prom, though. I had a great time. It was a really funny movie, and I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's, like, the perfect movie. When I saw that movie and it ended, my immediate thought was, why isn't every movie exactly like this? Yes. It's also so gory. Like, so unexpectedly gory. And just funny and brilliant and I read somewhere that when they were writing the movie they interviewed all these cops and they were like what is the one thing that every movie gets wrong about cops like and they all said the amount of paperwork so that's why it keeps becoming a thing with like this is gonna be a lot of paperwork Paperwork. yeah 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 definitely is I just the (laughs) shoot our guns in the air and yeah Ah! oh it's so good Fuck, I'm going to watch that later. <laughs> <laughs> Simon Pegg, amazing. Shaun of the Dead, also phenomenal. Yeah. See, I watched Hot Fuzz first. Did you? Yeah, and then Shaun of the you Dead. You liked Hot Fuzz better, didn't you? I did, because Shaun of the Dead was very emosh, and I was not prepared for it. It actually, yeah, it kind of is. Like, the whole shit with, like, the stepdad, Bill, Bill Nye, was, <gasps> I'm obsessed with and everything, because <laughs> he's, he's perfect and yeah. fucking everything. What he has to spoiler. It's not a spoiler. It's like it's a twenty-year-old movie. Fuck it ever. If you like, haven't seen it, yeah. that's your fucking bad. But if you want a whatever spoiler for the next like ten seconds, when he has to kill him, and yeah. you're like, I was not. And even the mom too, right? Oh yeah. And I was like, this is very emotional, <laughs> and Hot Fuzz is not this way. No. I was not prepared. No. But they're just wonderful, and they're nailing it. I was like, they actually like hit on a lot of my favorite things here. It was like true crime zombies and then he does paul which is the the, the alien, alien movie yeah my these are my people absolutely yeah. yeah so we should probably get get to the get to the story, the story. okay yeah am i going first this weekend yeah. or are you okay are you down to go first i'll go first fuck it yeah since i forced you to go first last time <laughs> i like 
hold you accountable for that. So I used to work at a weed farm. I don't know if you know this about me. Yes. You really remember this about me? A legal, I was like legal cannabis farm. So this was a state approved farm close to Seattle, but actually on a little island off the coast of Seattle called Vashon Island. Mm -hmm. Vashon Island is connected to, is the bigger island in this little two series chain of islands. The smaller one being Maury Island, which I don't know if you've heard, but Maury Island has its own UFO incident. Stop it. Yes. So when you go to this island, like that's like one of the first things people will tell you, like, oh my God, we had a UFO sighting. Especially like it's the Pacific Northwest, so people are already kind of strange to begin yeah. with. Like very counterculture, very like hippy dippy. Like I've talked to people where you're like saying something and they'll be like, oh no, but demons exist. Super matter of I'm fact. Obsessed and you're like, okay, moving on. And they like won't follow it up with anything, but they're just like so they be like, oh yeah, you don't know demons exist? And why like, do you oh, think that is? is I it, like, do you think no it's because idea. they actually have seen some shit that that's why they're like, no, no, for real, real? Or is it all the drugs? I always wonder, and I'm a little pissed that I didn't ask this guy for a follow-up question because I just remember he said it. I remember my face immediately freezing in whatever... And then you just yeah, you whatever sure jammed him. I, and that's I looked to Johnny to make sure he had also caught this little <laughs> uh, comment this man had made. And then we both just like nodded and moved along with our life because I was like, I, I don't even want to open this can of worms. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's better with these people not to yeah, get absolutely. into it. So this is this strange little island that we lived on. And we lived there. Uh, oh, I so would, you lived on Moria lived, Island. Okay, so Vashon Island and Moria Island are like literally connected. I you see. can't get to Moria Island unless you go, you take mm -hmm. a ferry to Vashon Island. I see. It's basically, most people call it Vashon, but technically Moore Island is like the little part that's connected to it. I see. So I lived on the Vashon side of this, uh, worked there for two years, lived there for about a year. It's kind of a unique island. There are no bridges. It is only accessible by ferry. So if you want to go to this island, you have to drive your car onto a ferry, wait for the ferry to depart and bring you across the Puget Sound uh -huh. to go to this island. That, that's a little, like, that's cute, but it's a little much. It's a little much. Not only that, this is the, like, tagline we'll ever, everybody will tell you. Everyone will be like, it's the size, the island, Vashon Island, is the size of Manhattan with 11,000 people. Cool. Right? Like, that's <laughs> really, that, like, that you're supposed to be super impressed by that. So it's a nod to Manhattan, but a shit on as well. It's, they're basically like this, we have as much area as Manhattan, but with, but with so many less people. So like, obviously it's better. Like you should have fun. Seven million people less. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's very beautiful though. It, they have madrona trees all over the island, which have you ever seen a madrona tree? No, I don't think so. They're very unique <gasps> tree. Oh. They have like two kind of different layers of bark and the outer layer peels off and then underneath there is this super smooth shiny wood so in i don't know if you've seen this in florida there's a tree similar to that called the gumbo limbo that's referred to as the tourist no because it flakes the the like the oh it's like the peeling of the, the sunburn peeling of the, the sunburn <laughs> yeah so it's a similar but it doesn't look like that that's really beautiful. I haven't seen that. It is very beautiful. The wood burns for a very long time, so a lot of people um, will dock up on Madrona wood for the oh, winter okay. to burn. 
Um, so the island's covered in this. Covered in this. It has other trees, obviously. They have big, like, Douglas firs and tons of blackberries everywhere. Oh. It's gorgeous. It has one long 13-mile road from, like, that's, like, the main road, Vashon Highway, from the tip of Vashon Island to the bottom of Vashon Island. So because there's really only one main road, people hitchhike there. And it's like considered totally fine and safe because all if of you're this heading, is like freaks me out so much. I am like having a very visceral like panic. You kind of should. I'm like right trying now. to. I'm trying to set the scene here. Obviously, you're um, nailing it because I'm really concerned. <laughs> it can be very, very creepy there. One of the most alarming things about Fashion Island to me is that there isn't a hospital on the island. No. So most people who live there have helicopter insurance because if something really bad happens and you need to get to a hospital immediately, you literally have to be airlifted off of the island. Holy fuck. If you don't have helicopter insurance or it's not maybe Part of a your particular or emergency or something, uh-huh. yeah. Here's what has to happen. You're gonna call for an ambulance. The ambulance is going to either have to come from Tacoma or Seattle. It's going to have to wait in line to get on a ferry. The ferry is gonna bring the ambulance over. The ambulance is then gonna have to get to your house, pick you up, turn around, wait in line for another ferry to drive onto that ferry to take you to either Tacoma or Seattle. I have so much anxiety just listening to all of that. I used to get really freaked out if Johnny and Patrick like went on a delivery or something and weren't in the house and I was by myself because I was so afraid of doing something, one in the barn, getting like accidentally electrocuted, falling off of something and like being trapped there without anyone around. I've like freaked myself out on several occasions on living in the house on Bashan. Yeah. That's, you sound completely justified in doing that. Yes. So we were talking about the whole like, oh, it's like a house in the middle of nowhere. Like what's creepy about that? Everything is fucking creepy about it. Have you been watching The Third Day on HBO? I have. I'm not completely up to date. I'm four episodes in. Same. Okay. So, I was but, like, so don't. No, no. Okay. So highly, highly recommend The Third Day. It's at least, really at least four, the four yes. episodes I've seen are really cool, really creepy. It's a similar thing in that it's this island where there's a causeway, but the causeway, when the tide comes in, it's underwater, so you cannot leave the island. Yes. Only at low tide Only can at you low drive tide on this road. And to get to this yes. island. And that's just reminding me of everything you're saying. Right? Exactly. And the ferries, you know, some ferries run every hour, some will run every half hour. It depends on the day, depends on the time. The ferries get more sporadic as the day goes goes on. on. So if you fuck up and like cut your hand open while you're cooking, doing a midnight snack or something, like there's a chance you're not going to get a ferry. This is fucking horrifying. This is my worst nightmare. It's a little terrible. So this was a very interesting, this is by far like one of the most interesting, unique places I've ever lived. And you lived here for a year? Yes, lived here for a year. I worked at the farm for two years, and then eventually we uh, got rid of our apartment in Seattle, and we moved and lived on the farm, and like worked and lived on the farm. It's a shunt for me. No, you're all not. Gonna, you're not going to come visit. This is a no. It's <laughs> so much anxiety of just hearing this, and we haven't even gotten to the fucking story. <laughs> I'm just telling oh you, my, my experience. Uh, it's very good. It's also. Uh, the only other similarity it has to Manhattan is you have to pay to get on the island, but you don't have to pay to leave. They're like, get the fuck out. Get like, out. We don't, you can stay here, but you have to pay to come here. Otherwise, yeah, feel free to leave anytime. We don't want you here. That's like their, their vibe, 100%. I hear that that's a, a Seattle type of situation. Like that there's this, this concept that I was told uh, is like Seattle cool. If you meet people uh, and then they're like, 
your BFF, and then when you were like, hey, do you want to like exchange info, continue our friendship? They're like, no. <laughs> I did not encounter this, but that's probably because that's my MO already before you're like, I went to Seattle. Talk to yes, you after this. I, you're my exception to this in that I was like, yes, I do want to be friends. I, multiple people from Portland have told me that this is the Seattle thing. I can I can see that. It would not really surprise me. Like, we went on vacation first before we moved there, and it was, like, great. It was so beautiful, and there's, you know, the Olympic Mountains. It's so picture. You look like you're living in a Bob Ross painting. Like, it's right. absolutely gorgeous. And then you start to get, the, get to know the people a little better, and you realize just, like, they're kind of whiny and annoying. Oh, ew. Well, I mean, like, brunch came out of Seattle. Yeah. I do. I fucking watched a three-hour-long Pearl Jam concert this morning, so don't come for me. I, I love. I love Any all better? of that. Any better? Oh God! I mean, so good. You can't get more Seattle than uh, no, Pearl absolutely. Jam. I went to the yeah. I went to their exhibit in uh, Mopop, which is like a musical. Oh pop yeah. Culture. So no, I love grunge, but you know they have they have lots of feelings. Yeah, I actually went to a horror. Uh, exhibit there too at the same time they had it like going literally they had like a room that had fake corpses hanging like I'm obsessed. covered in a sheet but like hanging where you could like walk through the corpses oh I'm obsessed I have I have to look I feel like I have some crazy oh I was gonna say I have crazy pictures of that but I've gotten my phone lost and stolen so many times that I might actually not have crazy pictures right. of that at all sorry all I did good. not mean to no your hopes up about that it's all good I have not told you literally anything from this story just just Noting, I'm aware. I know you're aware. It's all good. Um, one last note about the weirdness of Vashon. Vashon is also supposedly one of those places that has a hum. Oh. So like there's like the Taos, New Mexico and Kent, England. Uh-huh. Certain people report hearing a low mechanical hum that it, they can't really explain it. They haven't really found a reason. Multiple people have said that they've experienced this, but not everyone does. There's no real explanation for it. That's just another weird thing about fashion. Huh. What it, did, did you experience that? I never there? heard it. I talked to a couple people who said they did, but you, do you believe weird people fashion people? people? Like, yeah, they, yeah. So you have to take everything everyone says with a grain of salt. Getting into the actual Maury Island incident. So we're going back now to June 21st, 1947. And the Maury Island incident refers to claims made by Fred Chrisman and Harold Dahl about a UFO sighting. Just so you have a little bit of context, Roswell occurred in July of 1947. Oh, so this same year, slightly afterwards. Oh, so literally shit. like a month after. Wait, Roswell was a month after or this was a month after? Roswell. Okay, yeah. Is, okay. And I'm saying a month, but Roswell was actually probably only uh, like two weeks afterwards. Because it's the end of fuck. June and then Roswell is the beginning of July. So according to the two men who claimed that they were harbor patrolmen, but I read several accounts which in which this was later debated and they were not actually harbor patrolmen, which might just be, no offense, it's fucking bash on. People could have been just doing something weird and sketchy out there and then been like, no, 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 we were patrolling the harbor. Like, don't worry about it. Right. You never know. Claimed they were patrolling that night off the coast of Maury Island when they saw six donut-shaped discs flying over the Puget Sound. One of the six discs appeared to be malfunctioning. It was shuddering and tipping and dropping altitude rapidly. Suddenly, it releases a massive amount of steaming metallic debris that resembles lava. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, or like molten metal into the Puget Sound and onto the beach. It showered his boat with fragments, which caused some damage to the boat and supposedly killed his dog. Fuck. After the expulsion of the debris, the UFO was fixed the other ships surrounded the malfunctioning one and they all flew off together the men reported their findings uh and claimed that they had actual physical evidence of a flying saucer to ray palmer 
who was the editor of Amazing Stories, which was like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what that is? Okay. Yeah. It's like a little sci-fi pulp magazine. Little. It's a big sci-fi yeah. pulp magazine. It's a huge deal. Yeah. No, no big deal. It's just a big deal. So Palmer passed the story on to Kenneth Arnold, who was a pilot with the Air Force who was in the area at the time. Arnold had been flying over Mount Rainier, searching for the wreckage of a C-46 transport with 32 Marines aboard that had crashed into the Tacoma Glacier. During the search, Arnold claims to have seen his own UFO on June 24, 1947, while looking for the downed plane. Arnold described seeing nine boomerang-shaped objects with a glowing red center that skipped like saucers across the water. Shit. He roughly calculated how fast the crafts must have been flying based on his own speed and how quickly it passed geographic landmarks and determined it was flying at speeds exceeding 1,700 miles an hour holy fuck it's pretty fucking yeah it's really fucking fast uh his description of the craft as traveling like a saucer led to the widespread use of the term flying saucer which so is this technically is... a misunderstanding he didn't say it was a saucer he said it looked skipped like, like a saucer over the water basically so this is where this comes from the term flying saucer comes holy from shit. is literally this like misrepresented quote from kenneth arnold so then it's one of those things, everyone heard him say he saw saucers, so then everyone saw saucers after this. Right. Even though he said it was not shaped like a saucer, it was shaped like a boomerang. So Arnold's own UFO sighting was dismissed by some critics. James Easton claimed Arnold had seen a flock of pelicans, which are obviously giant white birds, which would right. look like that. This theory was mocked by ufologists who called it pelicanism. Philip J. Class suggested that Arnold probably saw meteor fireballs. Wait, okay, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, so my brain understands this. Is the pelicanism claim or theory that it was just a bunch of pelicans Literally. and not a UFO? Yes, they're saying an, a trained Air Force pilot does not know the difference between, between a, a flock of pelicans, pelicans and an undignified flying object. Yes. I know. A little hard um, to believe. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I know birds. I'm sorry. but like, Yes, and it's... The fucking trained pilot. He knows the difference. Yes. Continue. <laughs> I just want to make sure that I was understanding sure, the fuckery yeah. that was being They're suggested. trying to convince this man who's a pilot. That, that just sounds like a birds. fucking gaslight, straight up. Kind of does. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll let you decide. I'll let you decide how you feel about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So because Arnold was in the area in the first place since he was by Mount Rainier, and it's really, Vashon's really not that far from that, and had seen UFOs, Owen Arnold was sent to investigate and interview the men regarding the Maury Island incident. Arnold interviewed both men, though Chrisman did most of the talking. They related the same story to Arnold that they did to Palmer and claimed that the following morning, a mysterious man in black threatened Dahl, oh, saying, shit. I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe. Which is where the whole idea of the men in black comes from, is from this incident. Okay, so question, because I've heard of like the men in black quote unquote, being aliens who are dressed, yes. Oh. Yes, that when people refer to the men in black, that they're- That's actually what they're referring to? Yes, okay, so from what I've heard, from listening extensively to last podcast on the left, okay. which is amazing and you should reputable, subscribe to them. Reputable source, obviously. Yeah. Um, because Henry Zabrowski does not fuck around with all the <laughs> alien situation, he's about that life. But so my from, dream man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Johnny. Johnny, watch out. JK. From what I understand, the men in black are not humans, but it's it's like aliens who it's almost like they watched a, a movie or a picture and were like, this, this is, what, is people what people look like. A normal and, person. But yes. but they're like it's slightly off. 
like the lip color is like slightly off. Like they're just like, there's something disconcerting that's like, you don't actually look like a human being. Interesting. It's yes. like that uncanny factor or that it's like when something looks humanoid enough do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. But it's like, but you're like there's something just wrong. off enough that it your brain will not let you recognize this as human. Yeah, I think with this though, they're just they're not nailing it. Like it's a thing that you're like, this guy looks fucking. He's, like, he's wearing a bad human suit, basically. Yes, literally. Yeah, that the, the coloring is off. That like the proportions are yes. off. Yes. That yes. It's like the Donnie Darker thing. What are you doing in that stupid man suit? Exactly. So yeah. I all of this to say is that. Is that the Men in Black we're talking about here? Or is it like CIA Men in Black? Okay, so I don't know. I, I don't know okay. because this is kind of the first I'm hearing about them being straight up aliens. I always took it to be them. The government. The government. Uh -huh. and they're like hush hush, like we're not on the books agents. Yes. But that is totally just my own belief from okay. whatever. Okay, so it could be either. So it could be either. Cool. And now I'm fascinated and I need to immediately go listen to this last podcast episode because... Yeah. There's multiple. Oh my god. Of course there is. Of course they're there amazing is. and they're ridiculously thorough. Yes. What are we doing with our lives? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Men in Black show up. Creepy, creepy little message to Chrisman. No, to Doll. Chrisman and Doll show the material that they have, which is their quote-unquote proof of the flying saucer, to Arnold, who immediately contacted Army Air Force Intelligence, an Army Air Force Intelligence officer that he knew, Lieutenant Brown, who flew up from California with another officer to examine the material. According to a How Stuff Works, mm. which is one of my resources, mm. and again, I did not do any of my resources at the beginning, so I'm going to do them all at the end, you guys. All good. According to this How Stuff Works article, the moment they saw the material, their interest in it evaporated. It was ordinary aluminum. Embarrassed for Arnold, the officers left without telling him their conclusions. Which... I'm sorry, again, with the, he's a pilot. I, he doesn't know what aluminum is, but I'm pretty sure if somebody handed me some fucking aluminum, I could determine that it was aluminum. Or just the thing is, why would you leave and not tell him? Just be like, hey, it's aluminum. Aluminum. Because they didn't want to embarrass him. Because he Are was people like, that fucking nice? I didn't think so, especially in the military. Like, I feel like the military is the type to be like, you're fucking You're stupid. fucking idiot. I can't believe we gave you your pilot's license. And we wasted our motherfucking time. We flew from fucking California to Seattle to fucking be here. Like, what? I'm calling bullshit on this. It's a little sketchy. Okay. Again, determine what you will. But it is interesting to note that while flying back to California, the two men who had come up, Lieutenant Brown and his uh, cohort here, their B-25 caught fire and crashed killing both officers. Fuck. Arnold and Palmer, who wrote a book about the case, hinted that the officers died because they knew too much. Arnold would later claim that he even had a letter from Lieutenant Brown's wife saying she was convinced her husband's death was not an accident. Skeptics will chalk it up to coincidence. Captain Edward Ruppelts of Project Blue Book called the Maury Island incident the dirtiest hoax in UFO history. Eventually... So, okay. So he thinks that all of this is bullshit. Or he thinks that the government's covering it up. Arnold believes that it is real and that the government covered it up That's... from my understanding of it uh -huh. up until his death in, I want to say, like, 1977. Okay. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's when he passed away. Eventually, Chrisman and Dahl confessed to other Air Force investigators that they had made up the story, which, if you want to play devil's advocate, could have just meant they had gotten intimidated by sure. the government. And as we talked about before, people who see a few UFOs typically don't do well with their reputation and their lives afterwards yeah. because they're kind of dragged through the mud for being fucking crazy and not understanding what reality is. And they're not 
are, were they like financially benefiting at all from this claim or no? I don't believe so, other than maybe if they had sold that story to Palmer for him to use in Amazing Stories. Right. Which That's how the, much are you How much you could get? Though. It's like a pulp magazine. I can't imagine that being yeah. that lucrative. So I don't think so, unless you just want notoriety for a living. Office. But also just like you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna star in moving pictures with this. You no. know what I mean? Like no, no, no. you're gonna for like a super small like section of society that thinks that this is cool. Yeah, like you're impressing the people of Vashon, like which isn't that hard to begin with, I'm there's sure. There's eleven thousand of them. Yeah. That's it. There's there's definitely really not easy. even that many at this time because it's nineteen forty seven. Right. So I'm sure so there's, there's like, like twenty fucking people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Him and his twenty friends. Okay, so Crispin changed his story and he claimed that the truth was the illegal dumping of radioactive waste by military aircraft. I do find it interesting that he still stuck with a story. Mm. He didn't say it was... Nothing happened. Nothing happened. He just said, no, no, no. It, it was, was a different thing that happened. It was happened. a different thing that happened. Yeah. This is one of those things where like, it has been kind of established that this is a hoax. Uh-huh. However, they're... Like, the pilots dying in the crash right afterwards. A little sketchy. Right. At Maybe. minimums, just, like, super inconvenient. Weird coincidence. It happens, though. We'll call Crispin into question a little bit. In May 1947, Crispin had already submitted a true story to the same magazine, Amazing Stories, in which he claimed to have shot his way out of a cave full of Daros, which is apparently short for detrimental robot, which they're not robots in the mechanical sense, they're robot-like due to their sadistic and savage behavior. And apparently he shot his way out of a cave full of them with a submachine gun. Casual. As one just carries around a submachine gun while they're playing around in the cave. I mean, I got four in my bag. Sure. <laughs> New York. <laughs> I'm fucking in New York, man. I had to take a goddamn train and a bus to get here. You never know what you're going to come across. Exactly. Crispin's name also reemerged in another dubious context. In December of 1968, he was called to testify before a grand jury regarding a conspiracy to murder JFK. Shit. Some early assassination conspiracy theorists would falsely identify Crispin as one of three mysterious hobos, and I'm using hobo in quotes here because that's the word they used, hobos arrested and photographed shortly after the shooting in Dallas. There are also some slight variations of Crispin and Dahl's original account. Usually there's a third man in the story, but he's never really identified by name in one in which it was Dahl's son and one in which it was just another, another harbor worker, which as we established, they weren't actually right. harbor patrolmen, so that's probably not true. Also heard a claim that Dahl's son, his arm was broken during the incident, which... You have to fix it yourself for the most part. Yes. They're, they're on a boat. I guess theoretically they could just like go to whatever, Tacoma or Seattle, and get his arm in a cast. Also, if a fucking UFO killed my dog, I would not shut up about it until the day I fucking died. I no. would be like, it killed my fucking dog. What do you mean I don't know what I'm talking about? Like, the dog is goddamn dead. Yeah. I feel like they didn't get into the dog dying enough. Like, I don't know why that was, like, just a footnote for everybody else. Like, everyone was super casual about the dog. I think people dog. felt really differently about pets back then. They would not let lick their mouth and, like, carry it around in a baby stroller like we would? Yeah. No, What? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> that was like in, I, I don't know if you've seen pictures of this, it's horrifying, but uh, during World War II, which is right before this happened, they, in Europe, because everything was rationed, they set up, yes. I don't, I don't know where you're going, but I'm getting a face because I already know it's going to be horrible. Okay? It, it is horrible. They set up like these places that you would take your, your animals to be put down 
because it was so that they wouldn't like they're not like a burden to they're not a they're not a burden and you wouldn't have to worry about feeding them and then also they wouldn't take like your rations so but it, yeah so there's like you there's actual like black and white pictures and oh. it sees like it, and it's something something really horrible they didn't even like sugarcoat the fucking language it was something like pet elimination or something oh no i couldn't i would i would probably starve to death before i let my dog starve to literally death. same i'm no i'm such a believer and i know that these are different countries but i i think that that's like the sentiment of like people with animals at oh, this yes. point in time yeah. No, I couldn't. I'm always, whenever I see the zombie movie and the fucking girl runs in <gasps> the place after the dog, I'm like, yep, I'm that girl. I would be that stupid fucking bitch who ran into the fucking building full of zombies because God forbid. But everyone's like, I get it. I get it. Ugh, the dog. No. There's a website called uh, Does the Dog Die? <laughs> Do you, and you can literally look up any movie to see if the dog dies in it, which, like, I don't know who invented that, but, like, bless you. Like, thank it's you. probably someone who was shown Old Yeller when they were a kid, <sighs> and, and it was, like, fucked forever, so they're like, I needed to know this in advance. Yeah. So the Maury Island incident is now widely regarded as a hoax that Arnold fell prey to. According to later interviews with him, though, he maintained that he believed the story and many other strange things, and that the military was covering up the incident. Honestly, when I started reading this, though, this was the more interesting fucking thing. Okay. So, as I mentioned before, Arnold was searching for that plane wreckage on the side of yeah. Mount Rainier, and that was where he saw his this, UFO sighting. Yes. One of my sources here is from ufoevidence.org, and it's... It's an org. Org. So they're not fucking around. Which, I had a moment with that. I was like, I didn't think you could use org unless it was a serious fucking thing, which right. seems counterintuitive with UFO evidence, but also not because I'm this person that I'm like, ooh, yes, it is reputable, of course. Uh, so it's from a article titled Conversations with Kenneth Arnold by Bob Pratt. So this is Bob Pratt interviewing Kenneth Arnold and mm -hmm. then like the transcripts of it. Bob asked Ken about the crash that he was investigating and he says, they reached the fuselage. The fuselage was almost intact and all of the luggage of everyone was still on board and their parachutes had never been used. But he said there was no blood, no bones, and there were no bodies. What the fuck? He said he didn't associate the crash with flying saucers, but right after the crash was found and the rescuers got there, it said it looked like mountain lions carried off the bodies, <gasps> which Arnold says, which was ridiculous, of course, and it was typical of the military's explanations. A little later, they changed that story and said that the terrain was too treacherous to bring the bodies down from the mountain. And you'd find them somewhere on the mountain, no? At least like something. Yes. And he said, uh, and that was the last thing we heard publicly about it. So Pratt asked him, like, in other words, they left the bodies there. And he said that apparently was the official explanation. However, they had the funerals for the people that perished in the crash at Round Pass at Mount Rainier National Park. I think it was about a month or two afterwards. And there were 32 coffins there and there were no bodies in them. That's um, so fucking creepy. It's kind of fucking creepy. So 32 people just gone and they all didn't of their crash. luggage and all of their parachutes and everything was still on board. Yeah. So like these are trained military men. They know how to fucking get off a plane. Yeah. And it's not like, it's not from what you're describing. It's not like it was blown into smithereens and no, nothing existed. The fuselage was intact, which means basically like the wings were knocked off, but right. the main body of the plane. Because this isn't like the Malaysia flights that no, went where missing. Yeah. Where you're trying to find a black box among the fucking debris. Basically, it's a debris field. Kind of sketchy. This is super sketch. 
There was one more. Arnold apparently also filmed two UFOs. He had a camera with a six power lens on it at 64 frames a second, and he got probably 35 or 40 frames of them. He sent the film to Wright Patterson Field and his publisher at the time, a man named Ray Palmer, the same guy. And they sent the movie back, the Wright Patterson Field, and claimed there was nothing on the film they could see. Shut up. And he said when they sent it back, 42 frames had been clipped off <gasps> of it from his original. It's like, think, sketch, sketch. Think what you will, yes. Got the etch a sketch. Um, it's sketch, sketch. He... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. He does have a little bit of a few strange theories. One is that he thinks UFOs may be alive. He says, I've seen them seven or eight times and my first impression is this. The ones that I first reported over Mount Rainier were definitely crescent-shaped type things with a pulsating thing in the middle of them. I've seen them since and whatever it is, it has the ability to change its density apparently to accommodate for either its speed or flyability or whatever it is. The impression that I have felt is that these were going somewhere. I've never seen any of them that circled me or got curious. However, you get the feeling that they're aware of you. And of course, you're aware of them, but my thinking was that there's something alive. Something that could come from the surface of the earth, commonplace things that go through a stage of development similar to a tadpole. It would be difficult for you to believe it's going to be a frog, but when you watch the process, it becomes a frog. And well, I said to Look Magazine one time, I said, if you take a jellyfish in the ocean and you're not familiar with jellyfish, when it's completely extended, it looks just like the ocean water or very similar. It looks just a little bit milky. And if you stick your finger in it, oh boy, it'll really shock you. And then it solidifies. Nature has a way of doing these type of things with these deep fish or with these fish in the deep parts of the oceans. And they go through various stages of development. He says, these things have been seen many times before. I'm not a Bible study person in particular, but I've read the first 12 chapters of Ezekiel. And when he talks about this man, he was a farmer or something, and he looks up and he sees a wing upon a wing and burning coals in the center. If you hadn't seen one of the original pictures of one of the flying saucers as I saw them on the 24th of June, 1947, you'd never know what the guy was talking about. He's trying so hard to explain something to somebody and mixing it all up with God and this and that, but it would be difficult to reconstruct these things. Something that occurred to me, and like Ezekiel said, it was God talking to him. Of course, everything is God, if you want to call it that, or the creator or whatever, but you couldn't criticize the fellow, but he had one description in particular of a wing upon a wing and then the burning coals, the fire in the center, and this is identical to the first observation I had. You know, and that thing of I was aware of it and it was aware of me, you do hear that recurring a lot in a lot of UFO sightings and yes. stories of like an intelligence to the craft. Yes, which is an odd thing to kind of think coming from something you're perceiving as an inanimate object in right. a way. He says, I think that this, his first sighting, was the first indication that there was some intelligence somewhere that was able to read my mind. I think other pilots have felt the same way about it. We've been very cautious about mentioning such a thing, even though we were completely convinced that this had been and is taking place. It was a rather frightening experience due to the fact that when you actually felt it inside, that somehow your mind was being controlled or being read in some way by some unknown entities that were apparently making use of it. It didn't really make any sense. It's an interesting thing too, because you, it, when you look into stuff like UFOs, they're drawn for whatever reason to like military areas and like military yes. personnel. They, they have a lot of stories about it or people that aren't, you know, allowed to talk about it because they have whatever government yes. clearance. And another thing, I don't know if this applies to UFOs, but definitely with paranormal, like experiences tend to be more heightened in places near water. 
Interesting. Why is that? I, I don't know if it's like like a conduit for just that energy or what. Like I know Key West is one of is supposed to be one of the most oh, haunted okay. places yeah. ever, and, and it has to do with being in its proximity to water. So I don't know if that's also relevant. Interesting. He did actually believe um, in USOs as well, which are unidentified submersible objects. Oh. Last thing I will say about this is Arnold claims that the military told him to keep quiet. It's another quote from Arnold. I don't give a damn what the army says or what the air force says or whatnot. I kept my mouth shut. They advised me to. They didn't want me to expose the subject. They were against anything that was written about me because they didn't want me to partake in it because I was associated with them and I knew what the hell they were doing, but they have no control over me. I don't give a damn what major airline you talk to. These pilots are shut up. They just say, look, if you see anything strange out there, you tell us and let our public relations handle it or you just go look for another job. Oh shit. So like he, yeah claims that he has been hushed up and that the government knows what's going on. Well, I mean, they've started last year, this, started, right? Like, where the government's been, yeah, they've been declassifying things, being like, P.S., this is super real. Yes. It's declassified, but it's, the documents they release are still yes. super redacted. There right. was even, yeah, there was even one that's like the Wilcox memo, which is in a reference to the Maury Island incident. Mm -hmm. But basically all it is is them writing down what they, what they heard from yeah. the guys. It's because they had to go investigate it. So it's like, right. okay, this is what the guy said. It doesn't actually say like, and it's true and we found evidence. It's literally like, look, we went there, we investigated it. This is what the guy said. As far as anyone else is concerned, it is a hoax. There are some questionable things in the story, in my opinion. Yeah. Sources. Sources. Uh, How Stuff Works, uh, debunker.com, um, an article, I actually believe he does the whole website. Robert Schaefer is the gentleman I read an article about. Uh, UFOevidence.org, the article was Conversations with Kenneth Arnold by Bob Pratt. And I like watched the very beginning of a UFO Hunters episode on this, remembering that I had watched it back in high school when right. I was obsessed with all of this weird stuff. And then I just remember it being ridiculous and I'm like, getting scuba gear and like trying to find some of the metal in the Puget Sound, which the fucking Puget Sound is huge. Like there's no- And there's currents. And there's currents, right? like there's no fucking way. I didn't finish watching the episode because I remember, I was like, I feel like they found something and then they tested it and then they like, it, it was indetermined oh. because we have to make it vague so that we can make a show interesting for yeah, you guys. Right. So it wasn't really like a reputable source. So I, I mention it just really just in passing. Yes. Back on Weird Shows, did you ever watch Dark Matters, Twisted But True? No, I've never even heard of this. Okay, it was the reason I knew that the guy won the uh, Nobel Prize for the lobotomy. Yeah. And it was like a show all about, it was on the Science Channel, but it was like a dramatized show. Right. And it was all about like weird science things and like all of these whatever forgotten little I things. I love this. In history. And it was, I, I knew you had watched Celebrity Ghost Stories. I didn't know if you had seen that as well. No, I missed it. Okay, I'm going to look for it tonight, though. That's weird. I think it's on Hulu. I looked <gasps> it up the other day because I was like, I'm going to watch this one episode that okay. I remembered. High School Amy very much enjoyed it. Who knows? Like, it could be <laughs> trash. Like, when I rewatched Celebrity Ghost Stories and I realized how ridiculous the uh, reenactments are. They're, they're rough. They're really rough. And, and I was like, I can't believe I sat through like, seasons upon seasons same. of this show. And, you know, and the, my biggest issue with the reenactments of celebrity ghost stories is the wig budget. <laughs> the wigs are horrendous. <laughs> they are so They're bad. like Halloween wigs, basically. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the spirit of Halloween, you know, pop-up shop 
for how like they are so bad. So I, it's reenactments are, are usually are they're pretty are usually tough. bad. I have a hard time. There was also a movie that they put out about the Maury Island incident, which I was like, oh, maybe I'll watch that. That looks interesting. And then I found out it was literally just a whole dramatization. I was like, and I'm not going to watch oh. it. If it was actually like a documentary where they were right. relaying information. So if you're interested in dramatization, it's called the Maury Island incident. Boom, boom. Um, that was amazing. Thank, it was, I know you're not a big uh, no, UFO person. I, no, so. I, I don't know anything about this. And it's interesting to me that this predates uh, Roswell. Yes. But it's not more well known. Not at all. And it's one of those things like I know for a fact I watched the UFO Hunters episode before I ever lived on Bashan, but I had forgotten about it. You didn't completely. And then, yeah, somebody told me the story and I was like, oh my God, there was a UFO crash here? Everyone says it's a crash when you talk to them. Right. And when you go to the details, you're like, the pussy Not really. Yeah. Yeah. It just like spewed some shit everywhere and then flew off. Right. It just jizzed everywhere. <laughs> Typical man. All right. Uh. <laughs> Um, but that was amazing. All right, thank you. I'm glad you yeah. enjoyed my weird yeah. foray. I'm into it. So for my story, I'm going to be covering Adolfo Constanzo and the Narco Satanists. This story is fucking bananas. My favorite kinds. Let's do this. And lots of umbrage will be taken throughout. Oh, okay. So just brace myself. Yes, brace yourself because I'm taking a lot of fucking umbrage That's with a fair. lot of the story. That's totally fair. First, I would like to acknowledge the sources. I used Wikipedia.com, Murderpedia, the show Killer Couples. Ooh. Mm, um, on Oxygen. Hey. <laughs> uh, the show Poisoned Passions, which I love all of the names. I mean, I love an alliteration, but Poison Passions is essentially softcore porn. It's ridiculous. <laughs> With a little bit of murder. Yeah. yeah, it's like, and the thing is, yeah, so I'm an actor and I know the going rates for these things. It's like between 50 and 150 bucks that you get paid uh, if you're the lead and like they own your shit forever. So you're like basically doing softcore porn for 150 bucks. So, Every mother's dream. Right. <laughs> Uh, so I also uh, used the dailyusnews.com, apnews.com, Variety, and the Miami Herald. So let's just get right into it. Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo was born in Miami, Florida on November 1st, 1962. Okay, right off the top. If you name your kid Adolf Ugh. in 1962, you're a sack of shit. Yeah. Like straight you up. You knew. You knew what you were doing. Yes. So he's born to Cuban immigrant parents. And here's the thing, I'm also gonna interject this. Yes, Cuba technically was not in World War II. However, that being said, my grandfather was in Cuba during World War II and he fucking signed up because even though his country wasn't in the fucking war, they could tell that Adolf was one of the baddies. I don't wanna hear any shit of like, they're Cuban, they don't know any better. They fucking do. Yeah. 1962, you're naming your kid Adolf, you're a sack of shit. Let's talk about his mother. <laughs> his mother, Delia, was 15 when she gave birth to him, and Adolfo was still an infant by the time his father died. His widowed mother moved to Puerto Rico uh, with him, where she acquired her second husband, and she would eventually have three kids in total, each with a different father, so she's nailing it. While in San Juan, Puerto Rico, Adolfo was baptized Roman Catholic, and publicly they were practicing members of the Catholic Church and Adolfo was even, um, would even serve the church as an altar boy. But privately, his mother practiced Santeria. Uh, Santeria is a syncretic religion which blends elements of Christianity and polytheistic religions brought from West Africa to the Caribbean during the Atlantic slave trade. 
and adherents of Santeria um, seek favor from different saints by making offers to them like food and they do ritual uh, animal sacrifices, which is usually chickens, uh, which in Miami you see that quite a bit. Like a lot still? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The sacrificing the chickens, the everything? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, all of it. You, you, yes. I clearly moved away from Miami way before. Yeah. Yeah. I So I went to school, I went to junior high and high school in Little Haiti, and our school was in the middle of a residential neighborhood. The chapel was separate from the school, so you had to, it was still on the campus, but you had to walk outside to get to the chapel and on the regular on our way to the chapel you would hear like all sorts of crazy shit coming from the houses and chickens just like running about <laughs> miami's the fucking place guys oh, it's pretty crazy uh so alonfo's mother had introduced him to santeria around age nine and even had him blessed by a santero priest who said that alonfo possessed a strong spiritual energy and he claimed that he was the chosen one destined for great power. I'm immediately suspicious anytime anyone is the chosen ones. Yeah, like I'm down with, you know, Jesus, but everyone who's come since who's like David Koresh and shit. Yeah. Like, no. No. Mm -mm. It's a shunned. No. So his mother soon remarried and his new stepfather was involved in the local drug trade and the occult. And when he was 10 years old, the family moved back to Miami and his stepfather died a year later, which I'm like, what is happening? I feel like it's cursed or something like something. Or like Delia's doing some shit. Ooh, like Black Widow type thing. Yeah, maybe that was involved in the drug trade, though. So like that is true. Yeah, that is true. So he died uh, a year later and he left Adolfo and his mother well off financially, which, okay, umbrage number two. I've read that they lived in Little Havana, and you're not flushed in cash if you're living yeah. in Little Havana. So I don't know if they just meant that like you didn't really have to work, but they weren't living like in Coral Gables or some shit. Exactly. Okay. They were living in Little Havana, so relax. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love Little Havana, but, but just like the facts is facts. Delia kept a Santeria altar in their home and made regular offerings to the saints, which often included animal sacrifices, as I said, and she recruited Adolfo to assist her in these at a really young age. So in Miami, in Little Havana, their neighbors would often complain of dead animals like headless goats and chickens being left on their doorsteps after confrontations with his family. So when my mother was getting ready to leave Cuba, my mom uh, and her family left Cuba in 1966, and Back in the day, how you would leave is you would have to get permission from the government. And then they would say yay or nay. And then when they said yay, they would come and inventory your entire house because that belongs to them. It's not yours. Go fuck yourself. Holy fuck. Yeah. So it wasn't, they didn't defect in that they like went on a boat or whatever. Like they came on a plane. Yeah. But so apparently their neighbor was a Santera and she was like, I'm going to make sure you guys never leave. And for weeks they would, when they'd open the door on their porch, there'd be like a chicken leg with a red ribbon tied around it. And my mother, my mom's 11 at this at this point, her and her sister would be like freaking the fuck out whenever they saw it. That's fucking creepy. It's creepy as fuck. Yeah. But my grandmother didn't give any fucks. And when she would be um, sweeping the, the front porch, she would just throw it back on the other one. Kind of love your grandmother. No, that's, that's amazing. And from what I understand, that woman, I think her husband was imprisoned 
and then she got hit by a truck and died. So oh, it didn't work out great for her. And people usually, from what I understand, who partake in the dark arts, like Santeria, yes. it don't meet a, a happy end. Which you would think would be a deterrent, but clearly the fuck not. I don't know. I would take it in a grisly ending for like absolute power. But they don't get power. They like, whatever. I know, right? I don't, I can't do the sacrifice of the animals thing. That's no. really where I am. So his mother was arrested for harboring 27 animals in her small apartment. Oh my God. Which had just the floors were smeared with blood and feces. Like Disgusting. fucking biggest 27 sure. animals. Ugh. No, it's animal a, hoarder, get out of exactly. here. Exactly. Yeah. But it's no, all no. like for fucking sacrifices and shit. So in 1976, by the time he's 15, Adolfo becomes an apprentice to a practitioner of Palo Mayombe. Palo Mayombe is a religion with various denominations which developed in Cuba among enslaved Central African people and their descendants who originated from the Congo River Basin. In Palo Mayombe, offerings are made to the gods in a ceremony. Ceremonial? Yep. Offerings are made to the gods in a ceremonial cauldron known as the Ganga. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's N-G-A-N-G-A, which contains consecrated sticks and bones. And while most often the bones are sourced from animals, followers as recently as 2018, according to the Miami Herald, Followers of Palo Mayombe have been blamed for grave robberies, including the theft of bones and body parts at three separate South Florida cemeteries. Girl, no, no. not cool. Mm -mm. To me, that's Mm -mm. like an old timey crime. Like who's grave robbing in these days? I even feel bad when it's like the or like the staircase when they wanted to dig up the mom to make sure it's not enough. It's fucking dead and shit. Yeah, just leave them alone. It really gets me. Rest in peace. It's a thing. Yeah. What the fuck? Leave them alone. But apparently, it's it's alleged that followers People of Palo Mayombe are grave robbing bones and body parts for their gangas. Fuck that. So, by the time he uh, Adolfo reached his early 20s, he had developed a reputation as a fortune teller with uncanny psychic ability. And his mother believed that he had psychic abilities... Wait for okay. it. <laughs> For supposedly predicting the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan in 1981. Which, like, he's a president. Odds are people are going to want to kill you. Yeah. Also, like, did he get the right date and everything? Or he was just like, maybe the the president's going to be assassinated? Like, I don't have any information on that. But it seems like the president's going to get assassinated. And it was like, oh my god, you're psychic. All right, settle down. He He made a guess. He made an educated guess. I mean, I guess shit all the time. Sure. I, I mean, he's like the it. chosen one, Monique. That's right. <laughs> I have never been called chosen one ever <laughs> about anything. So that's, I guess that's what it is. So Adolfo's uh, family's money had eventually run out and they were struggling to make ends meet. So his mother decided to turn to a life of crime and enlisted her son's psychic abilities to evade the police. Yes. Okay, this woman might have something going here. I'll- yes. <laughs> See, okay, but this is also where there's very conflicting stories about this because I hear that he fucking nailed, like one story is that he fucking nailed it and they never got caught and that his, it just reinforced his mother being like, he's the he chosen one. He, we were protected, blah, 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 blah. But then I've read other stories saying that they still got arrested a fuck ton, including him getting arrested for stealing a chainsaw. 
How? What? what? Why? How do you even... Exactly. You know, I think that this is one of those things that sometimes the people embellish a story to make someone look more impressive or more like a mastermind at evil yes. than they are. You know how they'll be like, oh my God, this person, how do they get away with murdering all these sex workers? I'm like, because no one gives a fuck when sex workers are yes. murdered and the cops don't do their fucking jobs. That's no, why. No humans involved. Exactly. Is that the fucking term? Exactly. Fucking so it's not that they're a fucking evil genius or whatever the fuck. You just it's don't they give prayed, a fuck. Yeah, they prayed on the lowest common denominator that is typically forgotten by society. So I great. think, I'm going to say that this is one of those situations that it wasn't true. That Which part? That they never got caught? or That, that they, they never got caught. Okay. Because... Supposedly, they got arrested multiple times, which they would have record of. Yes, as opposed including to him stealing a fucking chainsaw, chainsaw or attempting to, because he got arrested twice. But I guess he's he's buying his bullshit because he he decides that he's not gonna just use his powers to steal bullshit at Stop and Shop or whatever, <laughs> and like he's gonna take this on the road. Oh yes, he's going on tour. Yes, fuck yes. So in 1984, the year I was born. Hey girl. Hey. Hey. 21 years old, uh, Constanzo moves, or, you know, Adolfo Constanzo, um, moves to Mexico City where he gets work as a male model. Okay. And he's psychic and he's hot, Monique. So, okay. So, <laughs> so the umbrage number three. Okay, is he not really hot? This is like old-timey hot where nobody is actually... So he, and they mention it in everything that he's so handsome, blah, 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 blah. He looks like every other Cuban in their 20s in the the 80s. Oh, genuinely, yeah. Like, he literally looks like every other Cuban. That hairstyle is doing absolutely no favors for for him. Oh, yeah. No, but in in all of these things... He's not that hot. He's fine. He's fine. He looks like a guy. He's fine. He doesn't have, like, a pocked-ridden face. You're not going to do a double take when he walks by you. Exactly. I'm sorry. And, you know, Oxygen and all of the the shows that I watched, like, he was very handsome. Relax, Oxygen. He was fine. (laughs) I feel like with with Killers, our bar is so... It's so low. It's so low. Like, like, Ted Bundy is like, oh, my God. I'm like, what? Because he, like, didn't smell like sour milk? Like, what what are you talking about? Relax, Oxygen. He's, He's fine. He goes to Mexico City where he gets work as a male model. However, his reputation of being a fortune teller and this and a psychic precede him. And there he would do fortune telling for the city's elites, including celebrities, politicians, and even high-level police officers. Damn. Right? And so he would do this thing where he would give you your reading, and if you didn't like what the outcome was of your future for a small additional fee. He would offer you a magical spell and a spiritual cleansing to make sure that shit would turn out in your favor. Very convenient for right? the business model. That's right? all I have to say. Yeah. Exactly. He's doing something right because he ends up grabbing the attention of the drug cartels. So they reach out to him for mystical protection, quote unquote, during their smuggle runs and turf wars. What? This story gets what? so fucking nuts, you don't even know. I just, to, I guess drug cartels can be superstitious. I don't know why it didn't, like, occur to me that they would be superstitious. Like, they seem just like they're businessmen. Like, nope. Yeah. Apparently not. Yeah, not put the wizard in the car. Let's do this. Not okay. Mexico City. Adolfo offered to protect the cartel shipments and multi-million dollar drug deals going across the border. His magic earned him a position of wealth and power within the Calzada drug family. He would do sacrifices on zebras and lion cubs. Oh, no. I don't like that. I mean, I didn't like the chickens and the goats, but I really don't like that. Yeah, and 
And he would make like a whole show of it in front of the, the um, cartels so that they would be like super impressed. Super like, impressed. They're getting their money's worth. Like around. this guy is like for real doing shit. So the Hernandezes were, um, were members of a large family with relatives on either side of the border who had made their money smuggling marijuana. Mexican authorities claimed that at the height of their power, they smuggled as much as a ton. Yeah. Yeah. As, as like much an actual ton. The, as a much as a ton, ton per yeah. week. And that their uh, distribution network reached from Mexico to Michigan. Jesus. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm sure my mom during that time really appreciated it. You know, we're not going to appreciate it a bit. No. Uh, damn it. Because these people are It never ends well. No, it doesn't. This is why we can't have nice things. No. In a few years, Adolfo went from an aspiring model to the leader of his own cult. And, All right. Yeah. Which the media would later name the narco-Satanists. Uh, which we'll get into. He's employed by the, the cartel, and he has a position of power, so he's making fuck tons of money. He has a nice apartment, flashy cars, all of that shit. So, we're going to put a pin in Adolfo for a quick sec, and we're going to talk about Sara Aldrete. Sara Maria Aldrete was born on September 6, 1964, in Matamoros, Mexico, which is a border town located just across the Rio Grande, right? Yeah. She was raised devoutly Roman Catholic. She attended college in the United States at Texas Southmost College at Brownsville, where she was working uh, towards a degree in phys ed. She was a beautiful straight A student who was also a cheerleader. And she was very intelligent and very well known and well liked around campus. And she was dating a fellow student named Gilberto Sosa. It was her first serious relationship. And in July of 1987, while she was home in Matamoros on summer break, Sara was walking down the street when she almost gets run over by a man in a sports car. And a worldly, a quote, worldly, extremely handsome, relaxed Ugh. oxygen man emerges from the car and it's Adolfo. And he tells her that he knows her and that they're destined to meet and have a future together and that something is going to happen and they need to talk about it. I've heard that line before. Right? right? Good, good dude. Yes. Settle down. Buy yes. a girl a drink first and maybe not try to hit her with your car. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And for some reason, Sara is like... What is I don't know it? what is happening right now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And for whatever reason, Sara, instead of telling this dude to go fuck himself because he almost ran her over with his car, is super taken aback by his arrogance and boldness and she's fucking turned on by it. He tells her to get in his car, and she's like, yep, let's do this. Uh, Sarah, I'm stupid <sighs> bitch, you. Like, don't get, like, don't get in the car. Like, never get in the car. Don't get in the car with Jesus. a stranger, especially one who fucking almost ran you over. What the fuck? So she gets in the car, and he tells her his name, and he tells her stories of his, like, worldly travels and exciting adventures. And the thing is, Sarah hasn't, you know, aside from... She's a small town girl, you know, aside from growing up in Matamoros and like walking across the bridge, uh, you know, to go to school in, in Brownsville, Texas, she hasn't really traveled. So she's super enthralled by all of these stories of him traveling and his life. And, and she can't even imagine a life like that. The more Sara listens to his bullshit, the more she buys it. So Sara, like when you, whenever you meet someone new, she starts talking about herself. And Alonso stops her and he says... I already know everything about you because I have a gift. I'm a psychic and a fortune teller. 
and that's how I make my money, uh, you know, telling the fortunes of wealthy people. And he says, to prove that I'm not bullshitting you, he reads her tarot, and he tells her things about herself that she, he couldn't have possibly known. Uh, I didn't, yeah. Because it's like, I don't well, wait, know. wait, wait, okay. wait, wait, okay. And, well, he does say that he knows about her boyfriend and her family, and says that his their futures, Alofo and Sara's future, are inextricably linked, and that they're destined to be together, and that they're going to create and head an empire together. Money, power, love, all that shit. So they exchange numbers, and part... I was so, like, turned off by all of... Like, everything about this is a shant for me. I was like, would I be swayed by this in any way, shape, or form? If I was in this position, and he hadn't almost hit me with a car, but we just, like... Like, maybe? Met, and he, like, was feeding me all these lines, and did the whole, I know about you already, we're gonna create empires together. Like, oh, okay, you know how to, you know how to talk to a girl. Give me that. You know, I just would have sure jammed them. Like, yeah, like, I don't think sure I jam. No. You'd have to really tell me something about myself that nobody fucking knew. For sure. Like, otherwise I'd be like, no, that's just right. general fucking astrology bullshit that you could feed anybody. Right. Well, apparently she bought it. Hook, so line, sinker. She, she bought it hook line, sinker. And they exchanged numbers and part ways. And so for the next few days, he calls Sarah nonstop. And he keeps asking her to meet up, but she says no because she has a boyfriend. A couple weeks later, her boyfriend calls her up super pissed because he received an anonymous phone call saying that she was seeing another man. Hmm. I wonder who that could have been. Who the fuck could that be? He breaks up with her. And, you know, Sara is... She's upset. Obviously, this was her first serious relationship. You know, the next day, who should randomly appear but Adolfo Constanzo. And they hang out, and he invites her back to his, his place. And she agrees, girl! These are all oh, so many red flags. So many opportunities to stop this. Yes. The calling nonstop is when I would have been out. But yes. it's like, no, fuck you, it's annoying. Yes, exactly. He invites her over, she goes over, and so she shows up at his house, and there is a fucking altar with animal bones at his apartment. Fun! And he goes, oh, yeah, um, so I'm not just a fortune teller. But I'm actually a sorcerer with my own religion. <laughs> BT dubs. Calling yourself a sorcerer. Like the hubris. Ugh, okay. Exactly. All right. And he's like, yeah, so yes, I do tell fortunes for my clients. But again, if they don't like what, what I have to say, I offer to perform a cleansing ceremony for an additional fee where I pray to the gods and the saints and make ritual sacrifices, small animals. And he wants Sara to be a part of it. And Sara is fucking down to clown. She is about that fucking life. So he baptizes her. Does she have any background in this? She's devoutly Roman Catholic. Oh, okay. I was like, I could not remember if no, she yes. had any sort of like. No. Did she dabble? No. no. Okay. No. So she's Everything just like, is, she's, fuck the Catholics. She's like, going on fuck the Pope, fuck Jesus. We are tits deep. I'm a sorcerer girl now. I'm a sorcerer. I'm, yes. yes. I'm going to head a fucking cult. Goodbye. If you're going to be anywhere in a cult, the head is where you want to be. Exactly. Okay. What's that thing that in the office, like Creed Bratton? He's like, oh. you, you have more fun as a, as a follower, as but a, make more money as a leader. leader. Exactly. This is what's happening. Um, so Alonfo baptizes her in chicken blood. Mm, I'm good. No. And she's fucking in. And they start seeing each other, and their relationship becomes super sexual almost immediately. Yeah. 
um, which they very much delve into in Poison Passion. I was like, hence the softcore porn aspect it's of this. It's very yeah. uncomfortable. The episode is very uncomfortable. But apparently that's all of Poison Passions is that. And they're like, oh yeah, and like someone got murdered, but they fucked like a lot. Ooh, but it's titillating. Um, yeah, exactly. That's what they want you... Murder porn. That's, yes. It literally There's is murder porn. South Park episode about it that is particularly... That's literally what this is. is yes. It's literally oh. murder and porn yes. combined. So they're seeing each other and they're, you know, banging, banging, it, like, banging it up. And all the while he's teaching her Palo Mayombe. And and things Sara's actually a true believer. She like legit buys all of this shit. She's, Whereas he really does not we're assuming. Well he does, but like fuck, if someone tells you I'm a sorcerer and I have my own religion. I'd get the fuck out of there immediately, yeah. It's very bizarre to me that she's like super believing everything. Yeah. A small town girl. Exactly. It's okay. Yeah. Living in a lovely world. <laughs> I'm not too. I'm sorry. No, my voice is terrible. I'm not going to subject you to that. I have to like lower the pitch fucking forever. <laughs> oh my god. So many decibels. Okay. Um, because this relationship is going at like a billion miles an hour so fast. Sara moves in with Adolfo to his Matamoros compound. Casual. I don't want to move anywhere where compound is in the title. Exactly. For some reason, that's just very... It's nothing not good, Nothing good happens in a compound, I no. feel like. No. No. Exactly. The Waco compound. Yeah. It's... No. No. No, no. Exactly. Yes, you're correct. <laughs> um, and But she's still going to school at Brownsville every fucking day. Like, they're banging it up and living in a compound and, like, starting their own, like, cult religion. And she's still, every day, was like, crossing... Taking classes. Taking like, that doing class homework, then, like, bathing in the fucking chicken blood. Yep. All right. Multitasking. Exactly. <laughs> Women, get it done. Get it done. But there's a method to this madness because uh, while she's still at school, she is recruiting new members. And while she this was... This girl went so hard. Girl. So quickly. Like, I am someone that when I fall in love, I fall fucking deep. I'm not joining your fucking cult. No. Also, like, the recruiting people. It's like an MLM. Like, it's I don't want to have to call my friends and ask them to do something. And if you call like, two friends and they call two friends. No. No. And with her help, the, the membership of the cult more than doubled. So as a symbol of his love and gratitude... Adolfo anoints her the high priestess of the cult and has everyone call her La Madrina, which means the godmother. <gasps> Love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's pretty bad. You had me at high priestess, let's be honest. I Because that is, if I was ever to have a title, like, mm, I'll take that. Please. Yeah, Thank you. exactly. So while Sara is doing her recruiting, she comes across Serafin Hernandez, the nephew of the powerful drug lord Elio Hernandez of the Hernandez drug cartel. Sarafin was a part-time student at Brownsville, and he and Sara were in the same sociology class. Like, this is the wild... I'm sorry. This is so crazy to me. Like, they're running this cult and doing sacrifices of, like, fucking lion cubs, and she's also taking sociology class. What the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> this like, is how a- do you... I mean, compartmentalizing, obviously, but, like, how do you separate... No, and this is going to oh. get so crazy. Like, oh, my It's just... God. This okay. is the longest story ever, but it's worth it because it's going to get fucking bananas. So Sara knows who Serafin is and what ties he has. So one day after class, Sara approaches him with an offer. She said, for a price, Adolfo could use his dark practice of Palo Mayombe to protect the Hernandez family's drug business. And because Adolfo's powers had become well known among certain pockets in Matamoros communities, 
including certain drug cartel families, Serafin sets up the meeting like pronto between Adolfo and the head of the cartel. Damn. And on the spot, a fucking deal was made for a substantial amount of the profits. Adolfo would use Palomayo bispels to bless the cartel's drug shipments to ensure their safe passage across the border. And according to Constanzo, the greater the sacrifice, the greater the power it bestowed. And the first spell required a human sacrifice. Uh, okay. Here's, yeah. Uh That's where I'm tapping the fuck out. Yep. It's like, that's where you lose me. Yep. So the first spell required a human sacrifice of a low-level member of a rival cartel. And Uh, you have to go get the guy? Like, Jesus. Mm -hmm. No, that's Mm -hmm. already an extra step. And when the Hernandezes, when the Hernandezes... I'm glad you did story, not me, because I would have obviously butchered all of these names. Right. Yes. <laughs> I'm doing know. amazing. That's why I was like, I can't drink before this. So. This is too much pronunciation. There's too much I, pronunciation happening. Yes. Uh, when the Hernandez's next shipment made it across the border without incident, Adolfo's spell was considered a huge success. And he and Sada's power and reputation within the cartel fucking took off. And they started coming to Adolfo for fucking everything, asking him to bless everything. And basically... Alolfo became a god to them. Okay, that's great until shit starts exactly. going wrong and then you're the reason everything's going wrong because you're the guy who fucking blessed mm-hmm. it, right? Like, mm-hmm. now you're the fucking scapegoat. Mm-hmm. That's how you end up dead. Yep. So, the cult, they continued to perform tons of human sacrifices. Like I said, the first victims were rival, um, were rivals of the drug trade. More than one human sacrifice. Girl, this is going to get... Says. This is going to get... <gasps> Crazy. Uh, it's gonna get so crazy. Okay. <laughs> All of this is set up for the bananas. Like Gwen Stefani, B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This is the craziest shit ever. And the fact that I haven't heard any of the big true crime podcasts cover this is fucking bananas to me. I'm okay. I'm this is like, gonna in get shock. All right. So fucking bad. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Okay, more human sacrifices. I'm obsessed with you. I'm obsessed um, with you. So it starts off, the first human sacrifices are other rivaling drug cartels, like low-level members rather, members of other gangs or corrupt cops. And they also use like a lot of transients and, and homeless people and stuff like that. Okay. For their sacrifices, they were brought back to the ranch, the compound, where they were tortured and ritualistically slain. Body parts were then put in the ganga and uh. boiled making a foul brew that the cult members then drank. <gasps> no! Wait, so they drank this, believing it made them invisible and bulletproof. <laughs> okay. And some of the, the people in the cartel who, who had ordered these ritualistic, you know, sacrifices to be had, even wore necklaces made of the victim's vertebrae. This is the worst. This is so, so of, bad. Yes. All also, this is so like, bad. This is the worst kind of Kool-Aid you could have to drink for a cult. Like, so here's like a side story of like how bad this is and how much like this cartel just did not give a fuck. They're just leaning into it. They're like, oh, oh yeah, we're fucking, yeah, we, we sacrifice humans. Like, so here's a perfect example necklaces. of them leaning into it. So Elio Hernandez, which was Serafin's uncle, he was the head of the, of the Hernandez cartel. Constanzo decides to make him the quote-unquote executioner priest, and he brands his chest and his arms with sacred marks. 
For a time, Hernandez was the one getting the people, getting for the human sacrifice. So Hernandez once ordered his henchmen to bring him the first male they could, they could find to sacrifice. And it was only after lopping off the hooded victim's head with a machete that he realized he had killed one of his own nephews. Full body chills. Like, no. Fuck. That's it's, when you're really like, I fucked this up. I really like took this too far. Nope. 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 We still he got. He was like a. We, fuck. we still got a ways I'm to go. Gonna miss Freddie, but R.I.P. So everyone, the, the cartel is completely convinced of Adolfo's power. Adolfo is convinced of his power. Like they're super high on their own supply, and they decide that they're gonna move their largest shipment yet, 800 kilos of marijuana. But to do that, he would need someone special to sacrifice. Oh no. And he decided that he needed a brain. And he needed the best brain that they could find out there. And it needed to be the brain of a quote, Anglo male for the next human sacrifice because he believed that this offering would grant even greater supernatural powers to himself and his followers. So he tasked his high priestess. I just did like a whole like I did. Agador. <laughs> I was like, I love you made it in Spanish. And, I, and that was not intentional. That was an Agador Spartacus <laughs> from the bird page. It's like, my father was the shaman of his tribe, okay? My mother was the high priestess, well, you okay? You say sour soup. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I made it up. <laughs> oh my God, the bird page, it's amazing. Um, One of Johnny's dogs is called Agador Spartacus because of that. One of the little dogs it. is. It's super See, this is here. why I'm obsessed oh, with you and your boyfriend. Um, that is correct. He tasks his high priestess, or priestess, whatever you want. <laughs> I kind of like with, it with the accents. With fun. finding him that brain. I was really worried it was going to be Sada, so I'm very glad they were like white Anglo-Saxon male. I was like, good, yeah. good on you, girl. Well, let's oh, wait. Yeah. Girl, we're going to wait. It's, I keep shit getting ahead crazy. of myself. Yeah. I should sell all of it gets worse. <laughs> Spoiler. It all gets worse. That's like the tagline for life, honestly. Like, definitely 20 Welcome to another life. fucking horror podcast. Yeah. Colon. All of it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's too real. 2020. 2020. All of it gets worse. <laughs> uh, it fits for so many things. Yes. So, on the night of March 13th, Sara took Serafine and a few other cult members out to the bars hunting for their next ritual victim in Matamoros. They figured that they'd find the best brain in the head of an American college student. And it just so happened to be spring break weekend. So they knew that they would have their pick of the litter at the bars where the spring breakers were partying because as I mentioned before, Matamoros is literally you just on foot you can cross the bridge over the Rio Grande and it's college towns. Brownsville is a college town so it's, and because it's not the United States, there's a lower drinking age. So lots of college students okay. would cross that and, you know, for spring break would go partying in Maramoros. And then you could just stumble on home. That's kind of great. It's kind of a great situation. Yeah, exactly. And Except not for this guy. Yeah, and they yeah. fucking know that. So while they're at a bar, it didn't take long for Sara to choose who she believed would be the perfect sacrifice. Is she honeypotting these guys into the thing too? Mm -hmm. Oh. Mm -hmm. Hence the sexiness, the softcore. Yeah. Yeah. So this is Sara, which, you know, feathered hair for days. Okay, that's 80s. the look. Yeah, she's cute. So this she's is strong. Mark Kilroy. He's so, like, 
cute, adorable, no, all-American. little baby. It's, it's going to get so bad for Mark. Um, no. He's adorable. So Mark Kilroy was 21 years old, all-American pre-med student at the University of Texas at Austin. He was smart, handsome, as you see. He actually is he handsome. He actually is handsome, yeah. As opposed to fucking uh, other Oxygen, you got this wrong. <laughs> I Get your eyes checked. You know what it is? I think it's just Americans have a different beauty standard than Spanish people. And they think anything remotely different, they're like, oh, it's so exotic. I can see that, yeah. It's not, though. No. Yeah. Mark is adorable. He's... Oh, he did not deserve this. He's no one. It's going to get real bad. Strap in. So he was smart, handsome, athletic, uh, excelling in both his studies as well as basketball, baseball, and golf. And he was in Matamoros for spring break with three of his lifelong friends. And while they were bar hopping, at some point in the evening, Mark met Sara. And when they started talking, he mentioned that he was going to medical school. So she figured that he was perfect. At the end of the night, Mark and his friends are making their way back over the border bridge to Texas, along with like thousands of other spring breakers. And how they're walking is two of the friends are walking in a pair up front and he's walking next to one of his friends. At some point, the friend that's walking next to Mark goes away to relieve himself. And it's at that moment that two men in a pickup truck pull up alongside Mark and ask him if he's making his way across the bridge and that they'd offered to give him a lift across the border. And he says, nope, that he's good. The men stop the truck, they jump out, and they try to force him into the truck, but he breaks free. He makes it another block, and a fucking van pulls up in front of him, and three men with pistols come out, and they take him and they force him into the van. And because it's spring break, it's two in the morning, they've been bar hopping, and Mark is fairly drunk, so, He's not really that difficult to kidnap. Yeah, and three people. Like, and three people. He already escaped one kidnapping yes, opportunity. Basically. exactly. They drove him back to the compound and kept him there for two days where he was likely tortured and sodomized <gasps> until Alolfo was ready to perform the ritual. No. They had Mark chained to a table and they took a machete and cut off the top of his head, removing his brain and boiled it in a pot. His killers then inserted a wire through his spinal column, amputated his legs at the knees, burned him and buried him at the ranch in a shallow grave, along with at least 14 other people who had been killed there before him. Monique. It's so bad. That was I should have triggered so warning to all bad. of this. I'm sorry. Oh, it's so bad. I, yeah, I got like really visceral and like up in my chair yeah. for a minute there. The, uh, what was, why did they put the wire through the spine? Because they also wanted the spinal column, I guess, was like smarts was in there too. It wasn't just the brain. They wanted the spinal column in, in the ganga as well. Okay. Before we come for the friends, the friends are amazing. Mark's friends were amazing. The morning of March 14th, 1989, two in the morning that Mark goes missing. Basically what happens is they get separated. The friends make it across the border and they're like, where the fuck is Mark? And he's not there. They're, they wait, I think, for two hours, and he doesn't show up. They walk back across the border to Matamoros Damn. and go bar, looking at every bar. He's not fucking there. It's four in the morning, five in the morning. They go back to the hotel, and when he hasn't shown up, they're like, shit's gotten real, something's fucking wrong. 
And everything they say is that Mark is just not that guy. He's not the guy who just Irish goodbye and fuck off. Yeah. Like he would tell his friends where they were. So literally the next morning, his friends contact, they go to the sheriff's department and file a missing, a missing persons report. And at first the police don't really think that it's, a, it's serious. They're like, he probably got drunk and passed out somewhere and that he'd turn up in a few days because it's spring break. Fucking Do your fucking that. job. Also, like, you're in a vulnerable position when you're, when you've been drinking, especially as women. Like, oh my God. You're, yes. So that is the easiest time to be preyed upon. So like, to be like, oh, she's out drinking. She's well, like, it's this thing guy. also like, of like, things can't happen. Bad things can't happen to men. Yeah. Like, it's just weird. It's fucking ridiculous. But also just like, how about you listen to the people who know him the best? So, you know, his friends insist that there's something wrong and he's just not the type of guy to go anywhere and not tell anybody. So the police still don't do anything. They don't really do much, even though Mark was one of 60 people who had disappeared in Matamoros in the first three fucking months of 1989, which, what the fuck? Yeah, they're clearly just so bogged down. They're like, I can't even, I can't even handle one more missing guy. Like, Sixty ugh. fucking people went missing in three fucking months in a small town, and you're like, he's probably gonna turn up. It's fine. Along with those sixty other people, I'm sure they're all just walk out together, right? <sighs> That's infuriating. So, as I mentioned before, up until this point, Alofo had been abducting drug dealers, transients, homeless people, people that society just really doesn't give a fuck about. Yeah. So it hadn't raised any red flags until Mark Kilroy went missing. When word of the disappearance of Mark Kilroy made it to Mark's uncle, Ken Kilroy, who was a special agent with the US Customs Service in Los Angeles. Fuck yes. Within days of his nephew's disappearance, Ken made shit fucking happen and had a police task force created in Brownsville to search for Kilroy and set up an international investigation by multiple law enforcement agencies from both countries. Fuck yes, Holy Ken shit. Kilroy. Yes, getting shit done. Getting shit fucking done. But also it's that thing of nepotism. Yes, that if this had been that if it was anyone else, else, go fuck yourself, you were just on spring break. And that just shouldn't bad. be the case. You should fucking have do this the cops do their fucking jobs. Yeah. So Adolfo was super caught off guard and was scared. It was like, what the fuck? Why are people now searching for this kid? I've murdered 14 other people and no one's given a fuck. So this disappearance suddenly poses a huge threat to both the Hernandez drug business and Adolfo's power within the cartel. Adolfo's afraid that the authorities are onto him. So he and Sara go into hiding. And at first the police uh, who are investigating this think that this is a classic case of kidnapping from the drug cartels, but they can't figure out why the cartels would want someone like Mark. He's a student. He doesn't fit the pattern of people who are kidnapped by the cartels because usually people who are kidnapped are people in other cartels or people who have ties to the cartels. He's a student in Texas. You know, he's part of a wealthy family. He's a politically influential family from Houston. And it made investigators just think that maybe he was abducted for ransom. So Matamoros police interviewed over a hundred criminals who had ties to the cartel and no one knew anything about Mark. Like they couldn't find any information. It was like definitely like a dead lead. It was completely cold. Holy shit. Then the police catch a break. And on April 1st, two weeks after Mark's disappearance, a vehicle blows by a routine border checkpoint without stopping. The police chase the car all the way back to the ranch and eventually stop the car. 
And the driver is Serafin Hernandez. Oh shit. And Serafin is not remotely phased that he was stopped by the cops. He tells them straight up, I don't have to stop here at all, and I don't have to stop for any police officer. Well, news for fucking him, he gets taken to the police station, and as he's questioned, he just laughs in the police officer's face, saying that he's invisible and he's being protected by a higher power. Um, yeah, hi, we can see you. You're, hi. We yes. took you out of a car, like we brought you to the police station. Wait, it's gonna get so uh. fucking crazy. So the, before the cops get to like sure jam him, he sees a missing persons poster hanging in the interrogation room and he makes a comment of it. Ugh. And the missing persons poster is that of Mark Kilroy. And he straight up says, I know that boy. Wait, ugh, dude. Okay. So the US and Mexican authorities assemble and they head to the ranch. And at first the property appears to be abandoned after an initial sweep. It took a turn when they found a small shed in the back of the property. They go in and several of the Mexican officers recognize the religious symbols on the altar and the cauldron. They realize that it wasn't just the headquarters of the cartel, but a cult compound. But at the beginning of the story, the authorities are super confused. They're like, why the fuck is the Hernandez cartel practicing black magic? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I thought we were, like, getting them on drugs. So they, they don't know how all of this pieces together. Okay. They don't know why the cartel is engaging in magic. They don't know what, what this has to do with Mark Kilroy. So the authorities go back to the precinct, or what, I don't know if that's what they call that it. That seems right, yeah. But the Mexican pre precinct, precinct <laughs> whatever that is. And they, they talk to their homeboy, Serafin. And they bring in his uncle, Elio, who, again, is the head of the Hernandez cartel. And... They both sing like fucking canary. Like immediately? Immediately. Like, oh. Dude, you're in a cartel. Like you should know not to fucking... Well, they openly admit to the, that they practice Palo Mayombe. And the reason they sing like canaries is they legit believe that they're protected by these spells. That there's nothing they can say or do that would get them arrested. Like, I love how them sitting in a police station is not setting off any sort of nope. alarms for them. Nope. That, like, hey, maybe these spells no aren't fight or working flight. because the authority figures we're protected from literally have us in their hands. They straight up believe they are full-on protected by magic. All right, well, you deserve whatever the fuck right? happens to you. So when authorities ask, what does any of this bullshit have to do with Mark Kilroy? Both Serafin and Elio drop a bombshell. Serafin was ordered to abduct Mark Kilroy and bring him back to the compound. And when they asked who gave him the order, Elio said, La madrina, Sara Aldrete. So Serafin and Elio told authorities that the cult needed Mark for black magic ritual to protect their shipment of 800 kilos of marijuana across the border. And they spilled the fucking tea. They say everything. Like literally how many kilos it is. What do you want? Like, like yeah. yeah, totally. So draw you a map, like what what do you need? So then authorities order a complete sweep of Sara and Adolfo's 3.5 acre Matamoros compound. And they find a shallow mass grave behind the shed where the ritual was performed. In it they find the remains of Mark Kilroy, along with at least I found anywhere from 14 to 18 bodies. Still a lot of fucking bodies. It's yeah, it's a lot of fucking bodies, and it was a huge fucking story. Tons of reporters flooded to the scene, including fucking Geraldo and Oprah. What? They both did stories 
at the location. This was fucking Oprah. huge. Oprah. See, and like Geraldo, for those yeah, of you who are a bit younger, that. like he, and there was a point where he was legit. Like he was a respectable. I do. He was respectable. When I was growing up, I remember him being a respectable reporter. Fucking Maury Povich was respectable at some point. And now it's, you are not the father. It's yes. Just, I was like, that's all I know him from. Yeah. yeah. No. So Geraldo was on that boat too. He was at super respectable. He actually did really amazing work and unearthed the like psychiatric system, how it was failing inmates and stuff. And We'll get into it at a later episode. Interesting. I, yeah, I did not realize yeah, that. Yeah, so he was legit as fuck. So now if you're like, Geraldo showed up, you're like, fuck this clown. No, this was... So for Geraldo and Oprah to both show up and do stories on it is a huge fucking deal. So the authorities have all this information, but they have no leads as to where Adolfo and Sara are. And they're losing hope that they're going to find them. But again, fate was on the side of the police. On May 6th, 1989, while the Mexican police were conducting a search for a missing girl. Again, there's a lot of missing people. There's a lot of fucking missing people. Maybe take these claims seriously. And here's the thing. This is completely unrelated to the cult. It's just like another girl who's missing. It happened, yeah. So they were legit going door to door looking for her when they heard shots ring out from a window in a nearby building. And it happened to be the same area that Adolfo was in. And he was watching all of the news coverage live. So unbeknownst to the authorities, Adolfo, Sara, and two members of his inner circle, Martin Quintana, and a bodyguard known as El Dubi. The Dubi? The Dubi. Ah. Which, sure. This guy. It's a no rocket spread glare, but I'll I mean. <laughs> <laughs> what is it with the bodyguards and the names? I don't <laughs> Right? So they had been hiding in a Mexico City apartment for over a week. And when Adolfo saw the news footage of investigators digging up the bodies at his ranch, he flew into a fucking rage and trashed the apartment. Which, settle down. Go fuck yourself. We have nice things. Maybe don't make it worse for everyone else. He was convinced that the law enforcement's infiltration of his compound had desecrated the area and stripped him of his magical powers. (laughs) Okay, that's why everything's falling apart, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And it was in the middle of this temper tantrum that he happened to look out the window and see Mexican police going door to door. Amazing. Even though the Mexican police were working on a completely different case. This had nothing the fuck to do with the, the cult. Yes, but his paranoia is fucking it's out of control. out and he's and so freaking out. Adolfo assumed that they found his hiding place and he fucking panics and he starts throwing money and coins out the window grabs a fucking machine gun and opens fire on the fucking police. Wow. He was not fucking going quietly. Nope. Nope. The throwing the money? I don't know what that's all about. Was that like here just take this and go and then like if you don't, I'm going to kill you? This is a great, I don't want to give any tips to any mass murderers, but this is a tip, good tip for life of just sometimes just like shut the fuck up. Yeah. And it's not always about you. It's not always about you. So, you know. Play it cool. See how it goes. It's a good life lesson. So. Yeah, he really fucked himself over. He's fucked himself so hard. So a shootout ensues and nearly 200 police officers arrive for backup and they surround the fucking building. And the gunfire lasts for over an hour. So all of a sudden, it's quiet. And the law enforcement take their oppor- the opportunity to seize the building and break down the door of the apartment. And when they, sh- when they get into the apartment, they see Sada cowering in a corner. 
and El Bubi standing in the middle of the room, but there's no sign of Adolfo until they look in an open closet and they find the bodies of Adolfo and Martin Quintana, who was one of Adolfo's most devout followers. And they had both been shot once in the head and they were laying in each other's arms. And at first, the officers thought that they had been hit by gunfire during the shootout, but El Dubi quickly tells the police, no, Adolfo knew he wasn't getting out of this alive and he didn't want to be captured and go to jail. So he ordered his bodyguard, El Dubi, to execute him. But he didn't want to go into the afterlife alone. So, wait, girl, wait. So he asked the person he trusted and loved the most to accompany him into the afterlife. Spoiler, it wasn't Sara. Thank, I would be so fucking happy at that part. Like, thank God this guy didn't trust me enough. Like, ugh. No, no, because Sara's buying all the shit. Ugh. Is, is she like butthurt about this a little bit? Wait. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm jumping all the guns. No, because this is the craziest fucking story uh, ever. Okay. So it wasn't Sana that Adolfo wanted to spend eternity with. He chose Martin because Adolfo revealed that Martin has been his secret gay lover for years. What? Can you imagine that? This comes out like in the shutdown, basically. Seconds before. Be like... Oh, or hey, Sarah. so actually, I've been, like, fucking this dude. It's like, one, I'm gay. Two, I've been fucking this dude for years. Um, I am not the love of my life. You're not the love of my life, so you down to take the rap for all of the shit that I did? Okay, okay, thanks, bye. Wow. Really ripped the rug out from under Sarah at the end of that. That's some cold fuck you <laughs> that, like, from another level. Oh, my God. Yeah, I did not see that coming. So, uh, Adolfo was 26 when he died. I uh, exactly. I can't process all this shit. Started. It's over a five year period. So what he was, was like, yeah, twenty one to twenty six. All of this insanity happened in that time. Over God, the what a roller coaster! Like really, just like I barely had a fucking, fucking bank account at twenty six, and this guy's a fucking sorcerer and <laughs> he's murdering, murdering people. For the cartel. And, oh my yes, God. he's like whole compound. So now that Adolfo is dead, conveniently, Sara would have to face all of the couple's charges alone. And when Sada's trial began in 1994, prosecutors were armed with the testimony of over a dozen former cult members, which described in detail how Sada was directly involved in the planning and execution of all of the cult's ritualistic human sacrifices. But Sada's defense team claimed that she had been, she hadn't been a willing participant in any of Adolfo's crimes, but that she had been brainwashed by Adolfo and had been artfully manipulated by the cult leader at every turn. To a certain extent, but like, you know, she was super fucking down the clown. It's like, yeah. hey, you're going to be the leader of, you're going to be the high priestess. You're going to be La Madrina. She fucking loved that shit. She loved yeah. the money. She loved the car. She loved the power. She willingly went out and fucking pits the victims. But yeah. No. You know, when you went out, this. you could have been like, hey, I'm just going to go pee real quick and run. Yeah. Or just, uh, just say something. Like, I don't, I'm cool with the animal thing, I'm but like, I really, not about it. Not about the human sacrifice. And here's the thing. Po- poison passions. Definitely sympathetic towards Sara, and I'm not buying it at all. It's very like I was manipulated, and he would make me do this now, whatever. No, go fuck yourself. I don't think so. No, if you're, mm, she's like actively recruiting people and like selling them on it as if it's something she truly believes. Yes, exactly. And like 
power is sexy, position is sexy, money is sexy. And like now that it didn't work out for you because you were fucking murdering people, yeah. now you're gonna be like, mm, it was never my idea though. Go fuck yourself, Sada. Oh, there's so many. Okay, but then there's like, think about the Jeffrey Epstein thing. Like all of those girls like recruited women too. But and they like, were like 14 fucking years old. Yeah, that's true. she's in college at this point. She's an adult. Yeah, I don't have. I'm that not. Much I don't have sympathy yeah, for Sada. But it's uh, just don't do that shit. So the defense team says that she'd been brainwashed and had been artfully manipulated by the cult leader at every turn, and that Adolfo had been manipulating her from the beginning. Remember that chance meeting where yeah. he like accidentally almost hit her with the car? No. Adolfo had discovered that she had ties to the Hernandez family through her ex-boyfriend, Gilberto Sosa. Gilberto, in addition to being a student, he had been employed by the Hernandez cartel as a low-level drug smuggler, and he had shared that information with Sara shortly after they began dating. Again, instead of being turned off to this, Sara thought that it was super sexy and exciting, and Adolfo knew Sara had these ties to the Hernandez cartel, and he orchestrated this meeting. And all of that shit of him being like, I know this, I know that about you, I know your boyfriend, he had been fucking following her. <gasps> That's he did his fucking so homework creepy. and he knew the shit. None of this was a fucking accident. He'd been following her for weeks. Oh, that's fucking so disturbing. I mean, I guess technically it's true he did manipulate her. Like, you can also, manipulate like, me, but when you're like, hey, can you like go get some like empanadas and also bring back a person to fucking ritually sacrifice? That's where I fucking tap out. Yeah. I still can't believe like he had a full loving relationship with a man mm -hmm. that she had no idea. Yep. Okay, he definitely obviously manipulated her. Okay, like, thanks, bye. Her, but yeah, yeah, for sure. And at her trial, Sara Sara's defense team made the extraordinarily bold claim that she was Alorfo's biggest victim. Okay. The audacity of this yeah, bitch. See, that's a fucking Mark Kilroy's family. They can't even bury like a full person. They ripped out his fucking brain and his mm. fucking spinal cord. Go fuck yourself, Sada. And like all the torture leading up to that. Like fucking you didn't go through that, Sada. Sorry. No, fuck you. No. You were like living it up in the fucking compound. The fucking chili bars picking guys up for fucking murder later. Exactly. And, empo and poison passion. I'm not going to stop saying it that <laughs> I, way. I love the name. Because so or not. that's exactly the vibe of it. Again, I love an alliteration, but this is trash. <laughs> they, they claim in, in, in poison passions that uh, yes. he would make Sada fuck other like drug, drug okay. people. I don't, know. I don't know why I thought you were going to say animals right there. Oh my god, it's because it's Mexico. Shit. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Okay. So in late 1994, Sara Andrete was found guilty on all charges, including multiple homicide, possession of narcotics, involvement in organized crime, police impersonation, which what, what the fuck is that? Yeah. I don't know what that's about. Yeah. Illegal body desecration and illegal possession of a firearm. She was sentenced to 62 years in prison, but later had her sentence reduced to 50 years. She's currently serving time in a Mexican prison, and should she ever get out, she will be prosecuted in the United States for the murder of Mark Kilroy. Her expected release date is in 2039. The verdict brought comfort to Mark's family and friends. Bill Huddleston, who was with Mark the night he disappeared, said, quote, Mark definitely did not die in vain. If it hadn't been for his death, who knows how many other people would have been suffering, end quote. So families from all over Mexico went to Matamoros to see if those found in the mass grave of the compound were their missing relatives. 
Oh. Can you imagine? No. The identified victims were Ernesto Rivas Diaz, 23 years old, Victor Sauceda Galvan, 22 years old, Ruben Vela Garza, 30 years old, Gilberto Harza Sosa, early 20s, and the rest have yet to be identified. They identified that many people, though, from the mass grave? They identified... Well, it's because they're all... It's Spanish, so they have, like, 47 names. Is it five people, though? Is that it's, what it was, or? it's four people. Okay. And Mark Kilroy. Out of between 15 and 18 people. Jesus. Yeah. There's an update. Oh, shit. On April 1st of this year, Sara Aldrete issued a formal petition asking federal authorities to grant her release... This bitch. What? The audacity Literally. of this bitch. According to Mexico's federal penal code, convicted inmates can request a supervised release, which Aldrete is requesting. In Aldrete's case, she requested that a judge grant her release and allow her to spend the 19 years she has left in freedom with an ankle monitor device and extra surveillance. Mm -hmm. So that is still being sussed out. Uh, and in June of this year... Variety reported that there was a limited series in development for HBO Max called <gasps> Brujo. Fuck yes. Which means male witch or, yes. or warlock, I guess. About Adolfo Constanzo, played by Diego Bonera. And that is the insane fucking story of Adolfo Constanzo and the narco-Satanists. That was crazy. It's, I cannot wait for that fucking show. Yeah, same. Ugh, I'm so glad they're doing that. Like, you sent me the link for the Radium Girls. Like, I'm glad all yeah. of that's getting, yeah. getting its fair due. And I'm glad that, that we jumped on it before every other podcast watches it. And they're like, we gotta yes. get this. Yeah, that's how I felt about the Lisa Montgomery thing last week. I was like, all right, this literally just came out to the news. Was yeah. Like, Monique is going to read about this tomorrow. I need to know this literally, immediately. I had the article saved. I know. <laughs> when, I, when I brought it up, I was like, she is definitely going to know this. And when you didn't, I was like, oh, okay, I have to do this one now. Okay, so I'll do my Scientology one later. Yeah. Next week. Yeah. So my boyfriend, the amazing Johnny B. Good. His parents named him... Johnny B. Good. Johnny B. Good. He B just, doesn't stand for anything. Does not have a middle name. It's just the letter B. Mm -hmm. He's amazing. He is also a fantastically hysterical song lyricist. And he wrote a song for Monique and I's podcast. Composed by, I have to give Nico Laverso some shout out here. Amazing human being. So Nico plays guitars and Johnny wrote the lyrics and is singing. And just a, a, a deep cut in the song that may not make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Mary Vincent. Mary fucking Vincent, who's a fucking hero. Fucking badass. All of us should aspire to be like Mary Vincent. I had known Amy for a couple weeks, and I told her about uh, to look up the Mary Vincent case. Johnny texted me that night saying Amy had regaled him with all of the sordid details of that. And that it's been, quote, nothing but armless rapes and celebrity ghost stories for the last two hours. <laughs> that poor man. He has sat through so many butchered renditions of stories back to him where I am freaking out over some shit I heard that I can't fucking believe. And he just sits there and lets me rant at him. He's so supportive. And then, yes. And then writes me these. And loves you so Loves much. me. And then writes me these silly songs. He's a keeper. He's a keeper. He's yeah. a good one. Thank you.
From baby stabs to anal probes, ghosts and armless rapes. Candy vans to lure the children and spaceships to escape. Another fucking horror pocket. Ooh, spooky ghost. Another fucking horror pocket. Ooh, spooky ghost. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If yes. you liked what you heard, uh, we'd appreciate it if you rate, review, and subscribed. Follow us on Instagram at uh, Another Fucking Horror Podcast. And we definitely want to start doing some listener episodes in the next few weeks. So if you guys have any cool, creepy paranormal stuff that's happened to you or any true crime stuff that you're connected to at all, uh, send us an email at anotherfuckinghorrorpodcast at gmail.com. But it is a U instead of a period because... Period it's a period instead of a U. Yep, that's yes. what it is. It is a period instead of a U because For fuck fucking. Gmail. Yes, they yes. won't let you curse in your email address, I guess. That's some bullshit. That is some bullshit. All right, guys. Keep it cute. And keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.